Enjoy. You're listening to Coffee Talk with the Liturgy Guys. Excuse me. I happen to be passing. I thought you'd might like some coffee. Oh, that's very nice of you. Thank you. Because if beer is proof of God's love for us, then coffee is proof of his mercy. Oremus, caffeine, come to my assistance. Oh. Put that coffee down. This is not a real episode of the Literature Guys. Coffee's for closes only. There's no topic that we're discussing, and we're not even talking about liturgy the whole time. Are you telling us absolutely everything? Not exactly. We're also out of coffee. <laughs> so without further ado, another Coffee Talk episode of the Liturgy Guys. Enjoy. I am very excited to have another coffee talk. This has been a long time coming. I know. Listen to this. Oh, man. Wait, is that? that was that legit or were you using a sound effect? No, that's like actual pouring of liquids. Listen. How does it sound? Well, there we go. That sounds like, uh, well, it could be a number of liquids, but I'll assume it's coffee. Yeah, when I was a kid in first grade, my friend Melissa Lombardozzi and I used to pour water from cup to cup with the leftover paints and we would go, formula, formula. We'd pretend we were... Scientist, it was very exciting. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, so every time I see her, which is not that often, I say formula, formula, and we have fun. Excellent. And coffee is a kind of formula. It's a mix of all these chemicals that are proof of the existence of God's love for us. That's true. That's absolutely ah, true. Yeah. Hey, how are things? How are things going over there in Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas, yeah. at the Center for Beauty and Culture? I would that's say exactly. they are going well. People here are very nice. I just get more and more impressed with Benedictine College as a place. They had homecoming last weekend, and you wouldn't believe this. Fun things they did here, bed races and all kinds of excitement and enthusiasm. So it's a really sort of healthy culture in general, I think, and I really am impressed with the the student life here as well as the academics. And I'm not just saying that because I'm on the payroll. I'm serious. And, you know, Chris <laughs> came to visit and uh, brought us son and nephew. And that, yeah, that's right. That was fun. So we... We dined in the local hotspot called Willie's Sports Bar, which, believe it or not, has pretty darn good steaks. You know, Kansas is known for, for its beef. Oh, excellent. Well, I'm glad you're getting well fed. I know that was a concern of yours That's early right. on. Not everything I eat comes <laughs> out of a can. No, sometimes it comes out of a box, but it's still, uh, <laughs> still there. Or a bag. But I have a kitchen for the first time in 19 years. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, now you can kitch. I can, yeah, I know. I have pots and pans. And uh, as it turns out, the dean of students here, uh, Linda Henry, who's Sarah Swafford's mom, by the way, famous Sarah Swafford, uh, one of her relatives died not that long ago and she had cleaned out her apartment. She had all this kitchen stuff. So when I moved here, they're like, hey, you want pots, pans, dishes, uh, you know, apple corers and egg beaters? And they handed me like two giant plastic bins of kitchen stuff. So I didn't have to buy a darn thing except a toaster, which was really awesome. That's fantastic. I know, I know. If you want to move somewhere, make sure you move near friends with dead relatives. That'll give you make help. sure you move near Sarah Swafford. <laughs> and her awesome <laughs> mom, whose name is Linda, Linda Henry, who's the dean of students here at Benedictine. She's been taking good care of me here. Well, shout out to Linda. To Linda Henry, that's right. Excellent. Well, uh, I've been kind of following this Amazon Synod. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot of stuff to talk about that... I think would be a good for a coffee talk. That is right. Especially since a lot of coffee comes from there, I think. Don't they grow 
coffee down on Amazon? Yeah, that, I, I, yeah, I think that's true. That's right. Well, there's a lot of things you can talk about about what they're talking about in the Synod, and people are going a little crazy about it in some quarters, some with genuine concern and some with people who like to hyperreact, just like our political news cycle, you know, are you CNN or MSNBC or Fox News? That's kind of how a lot of people handle Catholic stuff. So I wanted to mm-hmm. talk today over coffee about the Pachamama controversy. Who's mama? Yeah, Pachamama. That's uh, right. something that's making people crazy. Probably you've seen some of the news stories. There's this kind of little wooden sculpture of a, a sort of nude, naked woman down on her knees, and you can sort of see the baby in her belly. And they brought mm-hmm. it into a church in Rome, and then some people in Rome took it and threw it in the Tiber. And then, oh, oh, yeah, I did see that video. They, they put claimed, it in the river. They found it in the Tiber, and the Pope was supposed to bring it back, and he apologized to anybody who was offended. But the people who threw it in the river thought this was a pagan god, a pagan idol that was being brought into a Catholic church, and they thought that was terrible. And then other people seem to think it's not such a big deal. So I just wanted to bring some clarity to this today. Have you been following this at all, Jesse? I have been following it about as much as you just covered, and I think that's that's about all I know. I'm not really up on the the culture, and we did talk a little bit about this on an upcoming uh, Liturgy Guys podcast, some of the Amazon enculturation stuff. Right, um, but we didn't get specifically to, to this issue. I think one of the things right. Liturgy Guys can do is sort of bring a nice, sane middle to the the uh, people who are upset by stuff. And I don't mean middle in terms of like selling out the content because I'm not selling out the content and I'm never going to argue that we should worship pagan idols and I'm never going to argue anything that would be outside the faith. But on the other hand, you know, I spent a good amount of time studying enculturation, teaching the class at the Liturgical Institute for many years. And I think we can just take a breath and talk about these issues. And even if people are in points of disagreement, at least we can say, all right, now at least I have an idea of what's going on. So... What do you want to know, Jesse? Everything. Okay. Start with start with start at the end, and we'll, then we'll go to the beginning. <laughs> well, let's start at the beginning and go. go to what the are end. your closing statements? Well, you have this Pachamama <laughs> controversy, right? And the question is, what is Pachamama? And generally speaking, un what do you say? Unenculturated uh, is a goddess uh, revered by the what they call the indigenous peoples of the Andes, um, and so. Yes, a god not of the Christian pantheon. Or the Christian pantheon only has one god, right? <laughs> not many gods. Mm-hmm. And so you could talk about all the gods of mythology in various cultures. Uh, we have the one god, three persons, and anything outside of that that's considered a god or is worshipped as a deity would be considered pagan or you know not a not a true god, not the true god. And mm-hmm. so this comes out of Inca mythology and the fertility goddess, and she's associated with planting and harvesting and. And things like that. And there are people alive still um, in the Andes, especially in Peru, who never really became Christian. And they've, they've continued the worship of many of the traditional gods uh, through all this time. And so the Pachamama becomes an issue, not so much because there are people who are still worshiping the, the traditional uh, indigenous religions, but because the Pachamama showed up in Rome. And they had a tree planting ceremony at in uh, St. Francis's Day, or was that Earth Day, not too long ago. And the Pope came and saw these people dancing around a circle around the Pachamama. And it looked to all intents and purposes like a pagan worship of a false god. And apparently the Pope had some remarks and he didn't give them. And he just said that our father had left. And people were like, oh, what does he mean? What did that mean? All kinds of stuff. And uh, so what do we do uh, with all this? Now, the challenge with Pachamama is you could just say, well, it's like any other god, non-Christian god. If you had a figure of a 
um, you know, Venus or Mars or Zeus or Hindu deity or whatever, you would say, okay, that's what it is. Um, and even if you bring one to a museum in the Vatican and people say, oh, they dug up this statue of you know, Zeus and we're looking at it in the Vatican museums. Nobody seems to care too much about that and thinks that's a big deal. When it starts becoming the centerpiece of a, of a prayer service, that's when people get nervous. Or if it shows up in a side chapel in a church in Rome, people start right. to say, why do we have a pagan idol in the, um, in the Catholic Church? And that is the question. Do we have a pagan idol in the Catholic Church uh, or not? Are you asking me? Well, I don't know. Uh, yeah, sure. What do you think? Well, I don't, I don't know, but I suspect I know where this is going. Um, <laughs> well, it raises the enculturation questions. Well, okay, so that's, that's my question, and, and maybe this is the right question, maybe this is the wrong question, but in the vein of enculturation, if there was a deity of an unevangelized community that was, let's say, like a mother type, you know, like mother, like somebody who they were worshiping, somebody who's like mother nature, let's right. say. Could could that be uh, redirected, uh, a redirected devotion towards Mary, so to speak? So like it used to be a God that was like, well, this is mother nature and, and we, we are, this is one of our many gods and so on and so forth. But once they found out about Christianity, could they adopt that? you know, Marian devotion and overlay that, so to speak, on something that they already had. Well, this is the basis for evangelization and enculturation, which is the fundamental idea that all cultures have some truth about things. And so the notion of fertility, uh, the earth, what does it mean to be a woman? What does it mean to give birth? What does it mean to carry on the life of the world and have crops and fertility and all that stuff? There's nothing inherently wrong uh, with that, right? However, right. you have to say, okay, well, how can we take this truth, partial truth that's already in a culture, and elevate it and purify it? So there's the key thing about enculturation, that it has to be elevated and purified. It respects the truth that's there already. And so this happened a lot. You know, when people came to um, the New World, the Spanish, they would see all what they call the seeds of the word or the seeds of the faith. And they, sometimes they were kind of shocked that they saw things that were so much like Christianity that they just needed a little bit of tweaking really to bring it around without doing a whole lot of violence to the culture. People could keep the things that they were used to as long as they were elevated and purified. So a good example is in some of the Central American cultures, they had human worship and they would take the hearts and offer them to the gods and so on. It seemed barbaric to us, but their logic was, well, plants eat, plants are eaten by animals. Animals are eaten by people, so people must be eaten by the gods, right? Seems logical. It's just the hierarchy of who eats whom. And mm -hmm. so they thought that they needed the sacrifice of humans in order to, to satisfy the gods and keep the world in right order and not to be destroyed and sustain it. So there's a certain logic to it. And they had a high culture with writing and architecture and all of that. And the Spanish were like, hey, guess what? Yeah, you're fundamentally on the right track about something, that there is a sacrifice required to God for right relationship with him. However, Christ already did it for us, and he was human, and he did it once for all, and now you don't have to kill your children <laughs> anymore. And God, doesn't eat, and God doesn't eat you. You eat God. Exactly, right? So if you were going to eat the flesh of a sacrifice victim, well, here you can do it, but in the unbloody manner. And you see, it doesn't undo their basic culture of understanding that the sacrifices are necessary and that the God expects sacrifice, and there has to be a perfect sacrifice to maintain everything in right order. 
that's really at the heart of Catholicism as well, except it's done once for all by the God who is also man, and then they um, don't have to do it anymore. So it keeps a lot of the customs uh, of their culture respected while elevating it to the fullness of truth and purifying it from anything um, that's false. So the question is, if you're going to take Pachamama and say, okay, well, here's the thing. This is the woman who's who's shown with the child in her room, right? So in, a, in a pro-life era uh, or, or anti-life era that we live in, you think, wow, there's something good there. This value, respect of, of motherhood and the carrying on of things from one generation to the next. They also think that um, she's associated with nature and the preservation of nature. So um, if nature is, if too much is taken from nature, they say she gets angry and causes earthquakes and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So you can start to say, okay, well, what's a Christian understanding of respect for nature? Uh, and then how can we bring that into the Catholic worldview? So you can see the line is pretty fine between worship of an idol and transforming that idol through elevation and purification into something that Christians can um, accept. And so that's pretty much the issue. And now there's political stuff associated with it too, because there not only have there been people traditionally worshiping these gods, this goddess in particular, but the new age practices sort of coming up as people start confusing God and nature and all that. And so um, also the president of Peru in 2001 went atop a big mountain and gave an offering to Pachamama, trying to respect the people, you know, the native indigenous people who never converted to Christianity. So you can see how some people get nervous. False gods. Why are we worshiping false gods? Why are we dancing around an image of an Incan goddess and confusing that with proper Christian worship? Or you can say, well, the people have been Christian and they understand that this isn't the goddess anymore, but is actually their local rendition of the Virgin Mary. And therefore, they're not worshiping a false god, but venerating the Virgin. And from an outsider to the culture, it may be hard to tell the difference, especially if it's not, if the image isn't changed that much. And so that, I would say, is the question. Has the image been transformed enough? What were they actually doing? Um, the Pope you know, went on to call it the Pachamama publicly, which kind of said, well, he doesn't think it's actually the Virgin Mary. So that started getting people all crazy. And then, um, then the question is, well, can you have a venerated image of another culture in a church in Rome without confusing the true God from their goddess? And so you can see it's quite a mess. And part of the reason it's a mess is nobody can seem to get an answer from the Vatican press office on what they're actually doing. So um, it's caused a lot of confusion. So what I thought we'd do today is I don't really know what the Pope is thinking. I don't know what the people in Rome are thinking. I wasn't there. I, I can't judge any of them. However, I can, from the outsider point of view, I can look in and say, okay, I can see why we're stepping in the mud, so to speak, around here. Um, and so a good understanding of what enculturation might be uh, and setting the principles going forward and you know, I'm not going to tell the Pope what to do. But if he asked, what would, I have some answers. Yeah, well, yeah, what would they need to do to make you feel at ease about this whole thing? What would they need to say specifically? Well, first of all, you do want to come to a cultural image like this with respect, right? That The church is very clear about that. Uh, so the incarnation of the gospel in these cultures that are not Christian is really important. And if you just show up with a gun and say, be like a little Roman, they might say, well, who are you to tell us what to do, right? So you say, okay, how can we uh, implant Christianity into your culture that doesn't do violence to it, and then you can be brought into the community of the church? And so that's that's pretty important stuff. You have to respect the culture that it comes from. And that doesn't mean you, res- you worship false gods. It just means you 
respect people you're talking to, just like anybody else. Polite conversation over dinner. Um, so what, you know, this document, Veritatis Legitime, that we've talked about before, came out uh, in 1994, and it's still the guidelines for enculturation. Although, in all the stuff that we've seen, that I've read, nobody's talking about Veritatis Legitime, and they're not using the, uh, the norms that it gives. So, um, one of the things that it says that these things uh, should do is they should avoid any trace of syncretism. Remember that word from long ago, Jesse? I, I do not. <laughs> syncretism. Thanks for putting me on the spot. Okay. Is a uh, combination of a non-Christian culture with a Christian culture in a way that's damaging to Christianity. So it's two things kind of blending without there being enough purification and elevation. So like Centuria is one of these certain voodoo things are like that. Uh, in certain places in the Caribbean, you can buy these candles that have an image of a saint on it, and then underneath it says to curse your enemies. You know, so it's like the old form of voodoo that gets mixed with Christianity. In the end, it's kind of um, damaging to Christianity. So that's what syncretism is. So you always want to uh, avoid that. But one of the things that Veritatis Legitime says is that um, when the gospel is going through Europe, Germany, England, they still had you know their gods that um, were not the Christian god the biblical God. And um, in paragraph 16, it says, discernment was exercised to distinguish those elements coming from pagan cultures, which were incompatible with Christianity from those which could be accepted in harmony with the apostolic tradition and fidelity to the gospel. So that's the question. How much can you keep so that you're not becoming um, false? And how much does this image have to change so that it doesn't look like the old goddess? And that sounds like a really tough question. A really tough what? Question. Oh, it is, right. Because if, it's, if it changes too much, then the people in that culture think that's not theirs anymore. If it doesn't change enough, then the outsiders say, well, they're just worshiping the same old goddess. I remember reading an issue of um, Liturgical Arts magazine, I think it was from the late 1930s, and they went to um, Japan and China, and they were making these images of the nativity and the three wise men, but they didn't look like the three wise men like we like look like. They looked like Confucian scholars. You know, they had Asian features and long beards and the silk robes and everything. Everything else was exactly the same. It was their version of what kings wear, and it was their version of what a queen would look like, and it was their version of what the child, um, you know, a kingly child might look like, except it was done in that local language. And there was this little shrine that was actually completely unchanged from a Japanese tradition of this kind of... Um, I don't know what you call it, sort of a, an, a, a woman, a kind, um, generous woman who held a baby. And when you look at it, it just looks like a Japanese queen holding a baby. And apparently the, the Catholics of Japan didn't even change a thing. They just worship. Oh, wow. They didn't worship it, but they venerated it as the Virgin Mary because it looks so much uh, like it. They didn't have to change a thing. When you look at the Pachamama, though, however, doesn't really jive too closely with a lot of um, Catholic understanding of things. So, um, you know, the church is very respectful. Vatican II said it fosters and strengthens and enables and ennobles, excuse me, uh, cultures that it finds. Um, but it has to also uh, not include anything that's foreign to the nature of the faith. That is the challenge, as you say. So what would you actually do? I don't know. Maybe put a veil on her. Maybe... Um, have the image of the child in the womb a little more like Christ making a little blessing or just to do something to say, okay, this is the Virgin Mary and not some other God. Is, is it the Virgin Mary? Have, has the Vatican said, like, this is the Virgin Mary enculturated? That is part of the reason why people are 
going ballistic and kind of confused because they can't seem to get an answer. So some people... So we don't even know that. No, some people, they say, understand that you can, under, you can believe this as a, a, just their local version of an image of the Virgin Mary. And other people say, no, it's the Pachamama, which would be the goddess of this Inca mythology, right? So the question is, how much does it have to change so that it doesn't become uh, known as an idol? So, you know, when you read Veritatis Legitime, again, it says um, that when it talks about language, it says they should express more clearly the things they signify. The local people should be able to understand them with ease. So you would, I think you could apply that to this image, too. Um, but on the other hand, it can't give any sense of being unredeemed or unchristianized because then it leads to this kind of um, confusion that we're experiencing now. Mm-hmm. And this all kind of makes me think of another example of all of this, which is the Pantheon in Rome, which was a temple for gods, and then now it's a a Catholic church. Right. It has been for a long time, I think, since the 6th century. Now, how do you do that? Well, you take out the statues of the Roman gods, and you put in the statues of the saints, or you put in a mosaic of Christian, um, a scatological image of Christ in glory or something. And then you've got no problem, right? No problem at all. So, again, really respectful of the Roman culture. But um, one of the things, there's a section in Veritatis Legitimae, it's number 46 and 4. The heading is Necessary Prudence. And so mm-hmm. um, it says that it should not be marked even in appearance by religious syncretism, as we were talking about before. And it should not appear as if it has the same significance in Christian celebrations uh, as it did before evangelization. That's really important. So, oh, I really like that. Right, right. That makes a lot of sense. Even if the people now recognize it as the Virgin Mary, if it looks exactly like the goddess, the Pachamama goddess, well, chances are you're just opening the door to confusion. So a prudent person would change it enough so that it would look like Mary. Maybe she'd get a crown. Maybe she'd have... Some other clothes on. Maybe, you know, the child in her womb would look more like Christ. Um, and so this whole notion of how do you do this? They don't want the danger of the Christian faith being diminished um, by letting the local custom overwhelm it. On the other hand, you can't just Europeanize everything so that people don't think that it's relevant to them anymore. Um, to your knowledge, has anything changed with the image itself to do that? Or is it exactly what Pachamama looks like? As far as I know, it is the looks like it always looked. Um, and so how would we, how would we make a change? I don't know. You know, our, the, um, our lady of Guadalupe image is always considered one of the perfect kind of enculturation models. Um, of course it was a miraculous image. God would know how to do it, but it showed a woman with a dark skin and the slightly Asian looking eyes, which is very common for the people of that region. But then she had enough Christian imagery on her to know who she was and who she wasn't. And I think that's a good, um, good way to think about it. So what do you make of all this in the end of the day? Was it Pachamama, the Incan goddess, as she was? Apparently, because that's what uh, Pope Francis called her. Was she being worshipped as a god on the grounds of the Vatican? Hard to say. Was she being venerated as a Virgin Mary in the traditional form of the Pachamama, and therefore there was no false worship? I don't know. It, even if it is Pachamama as an un enculturated thing does is she allowed to be shown in a church in rome um just as an example of some other cultures uh artwork well maybe so it's not an easy thing to settle but i think it sounds like we need a lot more information to be able to decide any of that right and all we can do is look at it and say all right enculturation is a real thing 
So you can start with the thing that the culture that you're meeting has. Um, but that's prudence about not having any sense of it being the old, unredeemed, uh, unevangelized image. It just leads to the issue of confusion that we have um, now. So Veritas, Veritatis Legitime in 48 says, uh, in every case, it is necessary to avoid any ambiguity. Christian liturgy cannot accept magic, rites, superstition, spiritism, vengeance, or rites with a sexual connotation. So basically they're saying if it's not changed enough, and then you're, you're opening the line to this ambiguous confusion, which is what I think we're experiencing now. Yeah, I would say I would say that like right now we don't have enough information to be able to decide anything and it sounds like people are, who are upset have some reason to be upset but also uh they probably don't have enough information to like really be upset, <laughs> you know? Right. So what, you know, what I would like people to do is not panic and say, "Oh my gosh, there's a pagan hell in Rome. We're starting to worship false gods." Ah, throw it in the river, right? Okay. On the other hand, you don't want to be like, oh, yeah, basically, they're all the same. And, you know, it's Mary and Mary's kind of an Incan goddess. And let's just worship the earth. And, you know, like that's obviously a problem, too. So mm -hmm. what's a reasonable, calm person to do here? Basically, just understand the principles. If it's not uh, enculturated enough, then we'll find a way to enculturate it. I would love it if somebody, I'm, I'm not a good enough artist to do this, but I would love someone to actually make an image of the inculturated Pachamama. Like, how, how would you actually do it so that it's recognizable as this woman that is what the local people recognize, but that there is not a hint of ambiguity about it being the Virgin Mary and mm -hmm. not somebody else. And uh, that'd be a very interesting challenge. I mean, maybe there's an artist out there who's, uh, who's up for the job. But what you're not going to do, you never get that done if all you do is run away and put your head in the sand and say, you know, demon worship at the, uh, at the Vatican or false God worship at the Vatican. Oh, sure. Just say, okay, yeah. we've got something true with partly true here. Let's bring it to the fullness of truth and, and then let the pe local people know that this is still theirs, but now we've made it um, coordinate with the truth of the gospel. Everybody take, and a, just take like, a breath. And just like, yeah, just like with most... <laughs> just like with most things, the answer is probably somewhere in the middle of what we, you know, where we are. So, um, I, you know, this was very fascinating insight. Uh, and I feel like I have, or I am more prepared to have a discussion about this than I was before. Imagine that. Exactly. So even if you think it was pastorally a mistake to bring the Pachamama to Rome, at least you can say, yeah, maybe I wouldn't have done that, but you don't have to suddenly think that everything's going down the tubes. Um, and if you think it was a great idea that the indigenous peoples finally have the recognition they deserve, okay, fine. But it doesn't mean that it does, still doesn't have to be brought into the, um, the Christianized worldview. Um, and so just hang around there and stay calm. Stay calm, people. Awesome. Well, uh, Dennis, I also wanted to let you know the uh, coffee cup that I am using right now is the Dennis Jesse coffee cup. That way creepy Dennis Jesse coffee cup. It's amazing. I know. It's amazing. It is actually uh, one of the finest, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, not in design, not PowerPoint, Photoshop images I've ever seen. Because basically, it's, for those who don't know, it's the image from, was it Step Brothers? Step Brothers, yeah. And uh, you took off the heads of... Well, I wanted to remove all ambiguity. I wanted to really <laughs> enculturate that film with an aspect of the liturgy guys. That's right, by elevating and purifying it to your head right. and mine. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So no one will ever think that that is 
actually the movie poster, but they will recognize it as having roots and then brought to this kind of <laughs> perfection. So, and you know, I've seen a lot of Photoshop badly done and there's like different lighting or the places where the old and new images come together. You can see like change. This is like seamless, man. You're like an artist genius with Photoshop. Well, thank you. Thank you. Maybe we should, and, uh, uh, we, we should sell those on the... I don't imagine anybody wanting you to drink out of that cup <laughs> other than either of us. Well, if you do, send Jesse Let a, us know. Send Jesse a note at uh, questions at liturgyguys.com. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, Dennis. This has been amazing. I uh, I have been avoiding conversations about Pachamama, but now I, I really, I truly do feel like I know a little more and I can have a better conversation uh, if it comes up. So Good. Glad to hear it. All right. Well, we hope to see you soon, and let's do some more of these coffee talks. Okay, we will. All right. Bye-bye. You've been listening to an episode of Coffee Talk with the Liturgy Guys. Our theme music is Acoustic Blues by Jason Shaw, licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution License. The Liturgy Guys is produced by the Liturgical Institute. If you like what you heard today, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And be sure to check out liturgicalinstitute.org to discover more about our degree programs, public events, and publications. Refresh your soul and renew the church at what Bishop Robert Barron calls one of the best places in the country to receive formation in the Catholic liturgical tradition. I, I had too much coffee.